Eits jolla kali. Welcome, we are presenting another episode of CPS. Cruel Public Schooling. It is the middle ground between unrest and discipline. Between injustice and corruption. And it lies between the pit of a student's fears. And the summit of their knowledge. This is the dimension of education. It is an area which we call the cruel public schooling. A dimension that intends to scrutinize the CPS system through its core from a student's eyes. My name is Joe Passy. You can call me Joe. I'm a special education teacher at Benito Juarez Community Academy. I've been there for 13 years. As a teacher in general, I would say my goal is to bring out the best in students. As a special education teacher, it's to meet the individualized needs of my students to the best of my ability by connecting them with a variety of supports and services that can help them in their goals. In education, we call it pedagogy. It's like why we teach and how we teach. And it's the philosophy of teaching, essentially. And my pedagogy has always been trying to be a bit on the side as a teacher, if that makes any sense, instead of being the center of attention. So as much as possible, I try to like to create spaces in the classroom where kids can openly dialogue around a variety of topics. And I try to choose topics and elicit topics from kids that are of interest so that they're interested in these things. So they get like higher levels of engagement. I think I worry most about my students after high school that they didn't get the supports that would really help them function independently after high school. I've had so many students over the years, I've had so many success stories, but of course I've had stories where the narratives didn't necessarily always end that well. And that's one of the saddest features of being a teacher is when, you know, you did what you could, and but you question if you could have done more. What do you think your students have like towards cops? You know, I don't want to essentialize what my students would think because I think there's a variety of, there's a diversity of thought from what I've gathered about students. And we've actually had debates on this issue. Last year, we had a debate with our seniors about whether teachers, because this was a proposal, right? I didn't make this proposal, but this was a proposal that I'm sure you heard about, whether teachers should carry guns in schools. To, this was after the school shooting, right? Um, I'm not a fan of, of that proposal. I'll just say right off the bat. But like I said, I like to, let kids kind of lead the way. And so we, we let them debate this issue. And you would, I was shocked at where kids come down. Some are like really against that idea. And they're also like just really against guns in school at all. They think they, there's no place where others think that, you know, certain members should have guns, whether it be teachers or somebody else. And they, they seem to have kind of a, a heavier hand when it comes to like law. Kids need to follow the, the rules and stuff like that. So there's a diversity of thought. I It's hard to say that our students all think this way, right? Because some, especially what, even with CPD in schools, some would say, we want them out. They're, they don't need to be here. Others would might say that uh, there's some safety features that cops somehow embellish, you know. Has the involvement of cops at your school like amplified a violence 
Well, so I, I, there's always been police officers there. I can't do a, a cross comparison, like what, what it was like without police officers versus with. I would say, you know, at our school, and, and I know the, the police, the, the two police officers at our school real well, they're, they're nice people, but I, I would say they're underutilized. Like our, our, there's not a lot of violence at our school. It's a, it's a safe place to be. And then I think we can question whether this is really the best place for police officers to be. Kind of the continued militarization that we see uh, in police forces, local police forces, and especially when they're placed in communities of color that have historically had some contentious relationships with the police. I think that this can have a really poor effect on uh, students' sense of safety, right? Because I think that the intent from perhaps Chicago Public Schools and some larger institutions that want to see uh, police officers in school, the intent is that if you have people there with guns, it keeps kids safer. However, that's not what happens. There's a lot of unintended consequences from having, I think, all of these kind of uh, prison-like experiments in school, you know, wh whether it be like metal detectors or police officers. It could have the effect of students feeling policed. I'd like to see discipline to the greatest extent possible be handled within the community and with with students restoratively. So having conversations with students, finding out why they did what they did. Like we all know teenagers make mistakes and it's going to happen. I mean, when I was a teenager, I make I made mistakes too. And a heavy handed reprimand and punishment often is not the best approach. I think the best approach is to have students understand why they committed a certain action. And then the consequence for that, because I do think there has to be consequences. You know, if a kid does something and it really does hurt the community, it hurts the school community, there has to be some kind of consequence. But I think the consequence has to be arrived at by the school and there shouldn't be some set list per se. It has to be handled in the situation within the school because every school is a little bit different and every community has different needs. Like how should schools also like make sure they're creating a safe space in school? Well, first I think is when a kid first walks in to school the first day, it's so important that they have a sense of safety. And one of the things that I've noticed probably most prominently is there's a lot of, and you see this more with social media now, I think a lot of like cyberbullying and bullying. And we've struggled as adults, because I didn't grow up with this. You know, I grew up with bullying, but not like the cyberbullying that you see, that we've struggled with how to manage this best. And so I think those conversations have to be had right away. So I think what really schools have to do is have open dialogue with students so that students, they don't, they don't have this fear of going and telling authority figure that there's something wrong. You know, there can't be this adversarial relationship between authority figures, whether that's teachers or police officers or anybody else in schools. Having an adversarial relationships means that kids keep everything from us. And so when bad stuff's happening, it's not, we're not privy to that information. And that keeps, that makes people feel unsafe. So in order to create any semblance of safety, we have to have some form of open dialogue. And how you do that, like, there's a lot of different ways you can, you can have groups that are student-led, where kids work through their issues with a group of other students, you know, perhaps it's facilitated by an adult or a therapist. How would you allocate funding if it were up to you? Well, I'm going to be selfish and say I think we need more services in special education. I think that uh, our, our union has fought really hard to get that funding for us, and individuals with disabilities tend to get some of the least amount of services. They are most likely to be segregated within schools, and there's a whole a variety of risk factors that comes along with having uh, a disability. And so I, I do think that that funding should be not just given to students with disabilities, but any student in a marginalized population. I think that funding should be redirected to 
help those students, you know, in those underserved and historically marginalized communities. This is a really controversial topic, but I think this is the time that we have these conversations, right? And I think sometimes people get uncomfortable having these conversations. So I applaud you for approaching this because these are difficult conversations to have. But I'm I'm glad that like young people are especially having these conversations because I don't know what it's like to be a student anymore. And I, I have to listen to like what you guys tell me because that's where I get the information that really is what informs my view on a lot of these policies. Hey guys, welcome back, and this was Cruel Public Schooling, and I am Melissa, your host for, you know, Cruel Public Schooling again, and you just heard an interview with Joe Passi, a teacher from Benito Juarez, who is a special ed teacher, and just to talk more about the interview, and I just found it very interesting, I definitely did enjoy this interview a lot. I found this, like, a very interesting perspective, because I feel like a lot of people don't acknowledge what our peers with special needs see and like a lot of the resources that they could lack so it was very interesting just talking about the sro program and i do like the answer he gave her um if you were to allocate funds because i again feel like we ignore a lot of our peers with special needs and how they also suffer from the same inequality that we suffer from because you know you know we're no different and it's just interesting to see that every single CPS student is impacted by any inequality that sets foot on them. So I definitely did enjoy this interview and I definitely appreciate this perspective. So if you guys don't know, Benito Juarez has voted out the SRO program in their school and it's just very interesting to see what the future holds with it and how can not having the SRO program can influence what, you know, what the environment is in their school and I do find that very interesting. So right now I do want to discuss anything new that has happened around the SRO program about having CPD and CPS, you know, all of that. So I do want to discuss that as of right now, all of like CPS and like district leaders have have agreed to pay up like the full salary of, you know, of the staff behind the SRO program, which is, again, a $33 million program. And even though, you know, the fact that they're, you know, police department employees. So going on to that is also very interesting because I found information about how much these SROs are paid up to. So for an officer, that is $152,000. And there's approximately 192 police officers who are now occupying CPS. And again... For a sergeant, that is 172,000, and that makes up to around 22 sergeants, again, who are in the CPS system. And all of this is in a 12-month contract. And I do find this very interesting, despite the fact that schools are only open for around 10 months, but still police officers get, you know, the full 12-month experience, the whole year experience. I just found this interesting because I do see how these officers are paid up to more than these teachers and I don't know about you but I feel like my teachers should be paid more and I do feel like uh, an officer just sitting in a desk either marking someone tardy or just making sure that this kid is going to class is getting paid more than a teacher who one is educating a student not also that they're also like their emotional counselor there's so many aspects that a teacher does play and just seeing just seeing how much office distribute is very like angering to me not because like you know i'm i'm a teacher or whatever but as a student it just makes you really question anything i just feel horrible you know because you know i do think that my teachers deserve the best 
And just going on to that, I do want to note that, that I found out that CPS also pays for the benefits of these police officers. While, you know, CPD pays for their salary. It's troublesome. It's kind of funny, you know, just thinking about it is that, you know, CPS is paying for their benefits. But, you know, CPS just refuses to pay new textbooks or... You know, whatever my school may need, new electronics, new laptops, but, you know, these SROs are having a wonderful time sitting on their desk and collecting their benefits. And I do find this interesting. So as of Wednesday of right now, Chicago Public Schools has said that they will only pay the police officers for, like, the months they've worked. So since, uh, you know, the COVID-19, they are not paid the full 12 months experience and CPS just announced that, you know, they're not paying for the full length. They're only paying for the length that the police officers have worked. So like the months we were in school. And also like the district is conducting like a reconciliation of cost. But they have not paid the, the child police department. The school district was supposed to pay in like two installments. And that is of December 2019 and June 2020. So that is kind of like according to the orders of their contract. And I do want to discuss it right now that... In total of our school districts we have here is 18 have voted to keep the SRO program. One of them is also my community. I'm just very disappointed, troublesome, shocked. And I don't know what this would impact me or any of my peers, but I strongly believe that the SRO program doesn't serve anything for us. And again, so in the following weeks, you're going to hear more about the SRO program and that is either to, you know, school districts to either vote to keep the SRO program running or to kick them out. And that is around 70 schools and they have until August 14th to decide if they want to keep them or not. So, you know, just a little FYI. And I do want to discuss something, though. It was, I want to discuss more about my school. So I am a person who attends Little Village Landale High School campus, which makes up four of the total schools. And last Thursday, I believe, was our school meeting, our school board meeting. And that is if, like, you know, the community is deciding if they either want to keep the SRO program or not. So Farragut has decided to keep it, and it's also very disappointing, very shocking. I'm just lost for words, honestly. But the thing that disappointed me most is that in my school, two out of the four schools voted to keep the SRO program. And one of, one of them was my school, the one I attended. And that was very disappointing because I do remember filling out a survey asking me do you feel safe having you know police officers or like have you found them useful and all that and i'm pretty sure that a lot of my peers have not found them useful you know it's very disappointing so i also asked some other kids who whose school is still deciding on voting voting either keeping the SRO program or not. And I interviewed two people, two students actually, from Solario High School whose school is still deciding on either keeping the SRO program. And the two students are called Melissa and Esmeralda. And they were actually the ones who are organizing a protest in their school to, you know, keep out the SRO program in their school. So let's hear it. My name is Esmeralda de la Garza. I currently go to Eric Solario Academy. I live on the southwest side of Chicago. My name is Melissa de la Garza. I live on the southwest side of Chicago as well. Well, Eric Solario Academy, <laughs> yeah. So uh, me and my sister organized a protest because on Monday we went to Back of the Yards at 9 a.m. to support them because they made a protest advocating for the removal of the SROs from their school. And we just believe that Solorio does not need SROs. We don't think that any CPS school needs them. As well as we have two individually privately hired SROs. So even if our the one SRO that is under the $33 million contract is voted out, our principal will just order or hire two other ones. So I don't think that's fair. So 
uh, we're going to be calling for the like let go or the firemen of those two officers as well. Well, in more more times than often, armed guards don't. Statistics show that armed guards really don't protect schools in dire situations because the conversation that's going around right now is, oh well, they would protect us if something happened. They would protect us in a school shooting. But statistics show that more times than often, guards end up hiding under the desk or they're not there at the time or they they just don't go through with the action that they were intended to be put in there for. We don't expect that Solorio will easily fire these SROs, like we said. Our school is actually named after a cop who died, so uh, Solorio is very protective of the SROs in our school. But we want to at least draw attention to the fact that the students of Solorio do not agree with this, and we will be out there every day if we have to, but we are not your yes-men. I would also like to add that the police officer in our school, currently Officer Burja, has 24 allegations and six uses of excessive force. So I don't feel protected that the man that I pass by every day only works at a school because he may have had an altercation at another school. And that's why he was relocated at our school. There was a report of an an excessive use of force against an 18-year-old Black uh, woman. And that was reported in the Ashburn area where that can range from anywhere from Bogan to, you know, like other high schools. So it only makes you think like just because I haven't had a bad altercation with him doesn't mean that other people haven't. And these are real people in real time that have been affected who have been assaulted or touched by this man. And I don't think that he deserves a spot in our school for that. Do you feel safe at school, like with cops around there? I think personally, I don't feel any less safe or any more safe that they're there. The officer in our school currently, all he does is desk duty and he prints tardies. So to me, he's just a glorified security guard. Uh, I think that he's overpaid just to print tardies. And I think that there's no reason why him sitting there makes more money annually than teachers who work their asses off for us. That shouldn't be a thing. I had a conversation with my father about this, about the in- the original intent of putting SROs in school with increased school shootings and increased gun violence. I can completely understand why they were put in schools to begin with, but obviously over time, we time and time, we've seen at different high schools in different states and different regions that cops aren't doing their job. They're not doing the job that they were intended. And if kids are being profiled, if kids are being arrested in a community, in the one community that they're supposed to be safe from, from being profiled and arrested outside, then obviously we're doing something wrong. Our education, our learning should be a completely 100% safe bubble from everything that's happening outside. Kids should be able to come into school and focus only on school, not how am I, how, how, do, how does my walk look as I pass the officer? How do, how am I talking, passing the officer? And having that general bubble rising in your chest when you pass an officer. I don't think that kids should ever need to feel that or go through that. We, we need an education only for education. And then uh, do you see the purpose of like SROs in your school or is that like the same question, same thing you said? I just like the fact that those funding, that $33 million contract, we don't even get that much. You know, there's no reason why cops get $33 million, but our sports team hasn't got new uniforms since 2015. Or there's no reason why they have that much money, but our textbooks are from 2008. You know, our arts programs, our music programs, those are falling apart, but cops are sitting on their high horse, you know. And I think that a lot of people say 
that, well, Esmeralda, you know, cops in the school, well, they keep us safe. School should be, like my sister said, a safe bubble. And the prevention of school shootings starts with ments- available mental health resources to children, those of which are not available to the students in CPS. So if you really want a safe space, why aren't you giving us those materials that we need to truly feel safe? CPS needs licensed therapists, you know, social workers, nurses, those of which we don't have. My school currently has four counselors that aren't certified to deal with the problems that we face every single day. Their main focus is what colleges have you applied to? You know, are you doing your homework? They don't have the certification to deal with, I got stabbed by a cop today. I don't feel safe. I can't go home because ABC, you know? So I think that if you truly care about the students and you really want to keep them safe, then that funding should be allocated towards us. That's my main problem, that they're overpaid and they don't keep us safe. Just going on to like more elaboration, like what exactly about the SRO program do you like dislike? Adding on to that, definitely, it just goes back into the fact of defunding the police. What Esmeralda said, they're completely overpaid. It's resources that could be put in for better gym equipment, better textbooks, better resources, better programs, better opportunities. It's all things that we're not getting, but there's a $33 million contract that we can't even take at least 1% out of. And it's definitely, like Esmeralda said, if CPS really cared about us, if the city really cared about us, it goes deeper. Our safety is not insured with two officers. Our safety is insured with, like I said, better programs, better resources, better counselors to prevent school shootings, to prevent people from having emotional breakdowns to begin with. And it starts there. And I I also want to set something straight. Cops do not prevent school shootings. They only respond to them. Cops are not certified to truly de-escalate situations, you know? So I think that by saying that cops would keep us safe in a school shooting like they don't prevent them they can only respond to what they see has there been any instances in your school where the sros like fail to help out i've never personally been in an incident where i feel that officer Bonja didn't respond correctly or wasn't there de-escalated something but from my interactions with him he's just not active like not a hundred percent attend or listening is just very like sluggish very like whatever is mostly on desk duty like 95% of the time. So when he is up, he's very unconcerned for the students, very unconcerned with other people. So do you think having cops in schools like amplifies the school to prison pipeline? Yes, definitely. I think it's an easy gateway for many students to be arrested and therefore their lives are ruined. And I truly do believe in the school to prison pipeline. There was a girl, I forgot what state, but she's 15. She got arrested for not doing her homework. And now she's spending her life in jail. Like every student doesn't do their homework sometimes. That doesn't, I don't do my homework sometimes. That doesn't mean I belong in prison. And I think that it's unfair because school is supposed to be a place where you can escape from everything, where you can truly thrive. You know, if you work hard enough, it's supposed to be a place where you can finally get out of, you know, I guess people say like get out of the hood, but I think that just makes it 10 times easier to target you in school than they would if you were in the street. Exactly what Esmeralda said, just catching them off at, a, at, their most, at their most vulnerable point. It's manipulative and it's disgusting the way that the system takes advantage of our students like that. Okay, so the last question. If it were up to you, how would you reallocate funding, either for your school or like for just entire CPS? 
I think that first I would start with free therapy for all students who need it. I think that I would also put nurses in every school, social workers, and then after that we can start by getting new textbooks, new books, you know. There's no reason why my teacher buys a stack of books and tells us like, you know, please take care of these. I just bought these with my own money. Why isn't the school funding that? She had to buy those because she knows the school won't buy them. And we know that the good schools have them. So I'm tired of having broken textbooks with outdated information. I want new textbooks so what I'm learning is actually accurate. I think that a lot a uh, little goes a long way definitely with our our sports too currently the only sports that have decent funding is football and soccer because they're the most successful but you know cross country soccer girls soccer those uniforms are really old they're stained you know i just think that um we deserve nice stuff too just because we're a neighborhood school doesn't mean that we're ghetto or we're raggedy we're not any less than kids who go to lane tech or kids who go to school in suburbs if I could reallocate funds to schools, definitely reinvest it in community activities, community garden service opportunities. I know that only certain groups get get to do those opportunities. Definitely mandatory education of American history, of our race taught by Black educators. There's so much information coming out nowadays that our textbooks haven't taught us that we are learning a whitewashed version a completely blank version of what happened in our history. And we deserve to know the real facts, the real stories of what happened. And I definitely think that if once we are re-educated, we realize it's a domino effect to so many more issues that we have today. Yeah, definitely. Like I only know about Christopher Columbus and the Native American genocide because I educated myself. My father, he's nearly 50 years old, he didn't even know about that until a few weeks ago when me and my sister were telling him about it because it's not taught. And unless you put yourself out there and you're actively researching about these things, you can live your whole life without knowing them. As well as double down on funding for extracurricular activities as well as art programs. Almost every extracurricular program is underfunded and majority of teachers need to pay it for it out of their own pocket so definitely needs to be back into there. No exclusionary discipline. Certain students are excluded from punishments while others are punished more harshly. I think that there needs to be a system or somebody in charge that can help de-escalate situations and provide a safe space where people can understand what they've done wrong and then learn from it in a healthy manner. Hey guys, welcome back, and that was an interview with two students from Soloria High School, Melissa and Esmeralda, and they are the organizers of the protest to of the removal for the SRO in their school. I did enjoy this conversation a lot because it just made me consider how other students from other schools feel, and I do find that very interesting. I also do find that a lot of these students, you know, think alike, and we just share our disgust for having the SRO program in our school. I like how the way they've also described how it's not if if the police officer was nice to you, it doesn't mean that he's nice to everyone. And I do want to discuss that. That also goes for, like, you know, a lot of different aspects. And I do find that a very truthful statement because if the SRO officer is kind to you, it doesn't mean that he's kind to everyone. And it just doesn't express how the student body feels about this. 
So I think we're wrapping up. So remember, this is Cruel Public Schooling. It's a WhatsApp segment, parts of your local arts reach. And this is this is the end, remember? My name is Melissa, and I do hope you enjoyed this little segment about me discussing my feelings about CPS and currently DSRO programs. This was another episode of CPS. Cruel Public Schooling. Ah!